0: Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and I am joined by my co-host, Michael Scott. How are you today, sir? I am well today. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Listen, I just came off watching this movie we're about to talk about. I'm really good. Without showing my cards, I'm really good.
1: It's real hard not to be, uh, shall we say, emotionally and energetically elevated after watching this movie, not to reveal my cards either, but uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, so exactly. So, of course, we're we talking about the fourth film in our retrospective, Your Worst Nightmare, a look at the Rambo franchise, and this is 2008's Rambo. But before we get into the discussion of Rambo, you know, what we've been doing especially with the the subsequent episodes in this franchise, has been sort of looking at the filmography of Sylvester Stallone. And there is quite a a, a swath of films for us to discuss. So we, we were talking before we started recording and just said, you know, we're not going to talk about every one of them, but we're going to touch on a few of them. So when we left off, we were talking about Rambo 3. This is a, a movie that you and I both gave not recommends to. And we're going to look at what Stallone did after that film. Because we talked about how he needed a hit. And that movie was a hit. So, in 89, he comes out with two films, Lock Up and Tango and Cash. Now, I just want to briefly say something about Tango and Cash. I rewatched this about a month and a half ago and have kind of a... Reevaluated opinion of the film. I always thought of it as kind of a throwaway film, but I have to openly admit that I like the dynamic between Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone. So I'll ask you real quickly your thoughts on Tango and Cash.
1: Oh, I, I write or die for Tango and Cash. Um, I loved it in 1989. I've never not loved it. Um, it, uh, I think it is, it is one of the great. Sort of buddy cop movies, like you said, primarily because of their interplay. I mean, first of all, Kurt Russell, you know, anybody that's listened to this podcast knows we are 100% pro Kurt Russell on this podcast. And part of that is because he makes everybody, he's one of those actors that makes not only is he great, but he makes everybody around him better. And he and Stallone have just such an easy, Interplay. I don't know I know there was a lot of behind the scenes strife on that movie. The original director got fired, which, you know, is not uncommon for a Stallone movie. But uh they're so entertaining together. And they both just look like they're having so much fun in that movie that I I don't look, is it it's not great cinema by any means but if you can't watch that movie and have a little bit of fun with it I, I, I don't know I, I think you're maybe going into movies the wrong way uh, I will say again shout out to one of our favorite podcasts at this movie they played it for F this movie fest a couple of years ago and it played it, people who hadn't seen it really seemed to like it um, especially now because there is definitely a lot of man crushing going on and so there was uh, there was a lot of fun on the Twitter feed
0: uh, I I just think Tego and Cash is just a
1: lot of fun. It's a fun, fun movie.
0: And it had to be mentioned because at the beginning of the film, Sylvester Stallone references the movie Rambo, which is, again, speaks to just how huge that particular character was.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And how defining that was for him as an actor, you know, because in this movie, for people who haven't seen it without going into spoilers, he plays a – he's a very tough cop, but he's also like – a suit wearing stock market following like kind of upper class at the start kind of upper class douchebag you know he he's trying to get away from the lower you know the Rambo and the Rocky lower working class kind of characters in this one so i think it's very intentional that he references Rambo at the start of the
0: movie and you know it's interesting because Coming off of the 1980s, the two biggest franchises that he was a part of were Rambo and Rocky. In 85, Rambo First Blood Part Two was hugely successful. Rocky IV was even more successful. Uh, Rambo III was a financial success and he decided to go back to the well I think what was conceivably in his mind for the last time with 1990's Rocky Five, a film that was met with mixed at best critical reviews and was uh, although financially successful I say that modestly was not very well received by fans of the franchise I will just say I am a fan of this film, just because I like a lot of the characters in it, but I do recognize that it was really against type. I think he was going more for the, uh, you know, Rocky One and Rocky Two aesthetic, and uh, that was obviously a decision that he made because he brought John G. Avildsen back to direct this film. So, Mike, your thoughts on Rocky Five?
1: I am going to. Uh... Respectfully disagree with you. I think this for me this is the the only Rocky movie that I think is outright. I hate to use the word bad cuz there is good stuff in it and I always enjoy Stallone. So I won't say bad, but it is outright the only Rocky movie that I do not like. When I do rewatches of Rocky, I straight up skip Rocky 5. Um so I am I am not a fan of this movie. And and I think a lot of other people were were not fans of it as well. Um this started Again, kind of a little stretch for him, where we've we've talked before about how man who's had a more up and down career than uh, Sylvester Stallone. You know, lock up, Tango and Cash, Rocky Five. They were all somewhat, I guess, modestly successful. Maybe you could argue, uh, but not not even remotely close to the highs of his you know his biggest movies.
0: Arnold Schwarzenegger dipped his toe into comedy with a couple of films, uh 1988's Twins and 1990's Kindergarten Cop. Now, I mention this because after Rocky V, we get a... Uh, one-two punch of Oscar and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, both critically panned, and to be quite honest with you, I haven't seen either of these films, and unless you tell me otherwise, I think these two films might be a couple movies in his filmography that I may never watch. So, your thoughts on Stop or My Mom Will Shoot or and uh, and Oscar?
1: So, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot is absolutely unwatchable. It it is rhinestone level. Uh, unwatchable. Oscar is, I I know some people uh, that I am friends with on Twitter actually kind of champion that movie Stephanie Crawford who's a, a great Twitter uh, friend uh, scrawfish on Twitter she's a big fan of it I don't I like it less but I think it is a uh, an interesting failure you know it's a John Landis movie so there's some actual serious talent behind the camera um, I think it it doesn't entirely work, but I think it's worth seeing, especially if you're a fan of sort of 1930s screwball comedies, because that's really what they were trying to do. is kind of do like a 19, an homage to 1930s screwball comedies, and uh, they almost pull it off. So I would actually say Oscar, I think, is worth a watch. I think there are other movies that in his filmography that are eminently more skippable, like Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, which I can in good conscience recommend to
0: anybody. <laughs> 1993, we get again, uh, the, the one to uppercut, if you will, of two of my all-time favorite Sylvester Stallone films. Now, obviously, huge fan of Rocky. That's really, I mean, I love Rocky. I love the Rocky franchise. I love a couple movies in the Rambo franchise. But you tell me we're going to do a double feature of Cliffhanger and Demolition Man. I'm calling out sick that day if I have to go to work. That's how much I love these two particular films. Mike, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, I like Cliffhanger a little bit less than most, but I still think it's it's a fantastic movie. And it was a huge success for him. You know, it was yet again, another one of those times when it opened number one at the box office. It's like articles in Variety and Hollywood Reporter Stallone is back. You know, I mean, it was a big hit for him. Demolition Man was actually a little bit less of a hit, but I love... Demolition Man, as much as if I had kids, I would love my own children. I love that movie so much. I watch it all the time. I think Wesley Snipes and Stallone are so good in that movie. It's so quotable. Uh, Sandra Bullock is great. There's just, I mean, I probably have that script memorized. It's so quotable. I I love that movie. And that one, actually, I think a little bit more than Cliffhanger, even though Cliffhanger made quite a bit more money. Demolition Man somehow has has stayed in the zeitgeist like it's a movie that every few years I feel like people rediscover and are like, holy shit, this is really good. Um, And so yeah, I mean, in terms of movies of his that I love that rivals the the Rocky for Rambo 2 year. You know what I mean? Just a one-two punch of really solid, really great Sylvester Stallone movies.
0: I mean, one of the things that, you know, during the the great toilet paper shortage of 2020, if people are listening, you know, a few years down the road to this episode, one of the constant memes that was ever so present on my Twitter and Facebook pages was uh, no toilet paper, we've got you covered. And it was a picture of the three seashells from Demolition Man, which, you know, that was a, always a laugh out loud moment when I saw that. So, I just, you're right. It's, I mean, it's still in the lexicon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and just, I mean, Stallone's good and he's likable in it. And, but Wesley Snipes is just, I mean, he's on another, another level in this movie. You know, we a lot of times think about him now as kind of an overly serious dude. If you, you know, Blade Trinity, his behavior on that set is legendary, but we also forget that he started his career playing Willie Mays Hayes in Major League. Like He's got a deft, comedic touch when he lets go. And man, does he let go in Demolition Man. He is so great in that movie.
0: 94 was The Specialist, 95 was Judge Dredd. Um, Briefly, just touch on that one. I think Judge Dredd, I've said this before, has probably one of the greatest trailers that I've ever seen in my life. And I really am not a fan of this film at all. I'm a huge fan of the 2012 Carl Urban Judge Dredd, but what are your thoughts on this one?
1: Yeah, I mean we get a we get a bit of a stretch here where because coming off of Cliffhanger and Demolition Man, he's considered bankable again. And so we get him starring in four really big budget tentpole pictures every year. We get we get The Specialist, Judge Dredd, Assassins and Daylight. All within three or four years of one another. And uniformly, uh, every single one of them is probably not Great. I, I I can give some good stuff for all of them. Uh Specialist has a pretty great James Woods performance, as much as listeners know that pains me to say. Judge Dread, I have a lot of affinity for because I grew up reading Dread comics, and so I was just so excited to see it. It is in no way, shape, or form a comparison to the Carl Urban uh Dread. That that is that is a Judge Dread movie. The the Stallone Judge Dread is a Sylvester Stallone movie. With Judge Dredd drapery, essentially. Does have a fantastic Alan Silvestri score, though. You know, Assassins, good Antonio Banderas performance. Daylight is pretty bad all around, I think.
0: 1997 is Copland, which is a film that I revisit, oh, I would say probably once a year. I mean, listen to the cast that is in this film Sylvester Stallone, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, Peter Berg, Janine Garofalo, Robert Patrick. Michael Rappaport, this is one of my all-time favorite movies, period, and one of, I think, the best Sylvester Stallone performances that he's ever given. I'd love to know your thoughts on Copland, and it's a, it's really a sharp departure from what we're used to with a typical, quote, Sylvester Stallone movie.
1: Oh, 100%. I love Copland. It's the movie that put James Mangold, who has made a lot of movies, but for, you know, people who are less... His most famous and biggest success is he went on to make Logan, which, you know, a lot of people do consider to be one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. This is the movie that put him on the map. It's one of Stallone's absolute best performances. It is a... I think it's just an absolutely terrific movie. I think it's one of Stallone's best performances. It just, again, shows what he can do when he's invested in a role. And and especially coming off of the one-two punch of Assassins and Daylight, which were not – box office successes under any stretch of the imagination. What happens when he gets a little humble and he's able to put that ego aside for a bit uh, and really, really get invested in a role, you can really see what he's doing here. And and I think he's just amazing in this movie. I think it's an amazing movie. I think he's amazing in it. Um, I love Copland.
0: And for listeners out there that haven't seen the film, he, he purposely put on 40 pounds for this performance. I mean, he plays an out of shape, you know, local town sheriff who in a town that's right across the, the river from New York City. And I don't want to spoil any more than that. Like, I, like seek this film out, Copland. If you have not seen it, it is Phenomenal.
1: Yeah, and for people who don't necessarily know, I I am a diehard uh, Bruce Springsteen fan. There is some beautiful use of Bruce Springsteen music in this. I actually remember in '97 that I was just upset that he did not get a, a best uh, best actor nomination for this yeah. movie. I I just thought he was so terrific in it.
0: Absolutely. 1998, he he's he does some voiceover work for the movie Ants. Uh, '99, Detox. 2000, Get Carter, which is a remake of a Michael Caine film. Uh, I've actually never seen it. Can you speak to Get Carter?
1: It's not great. It's certainly not as good as the Michael K or the Michael Caine film. It was directed by a director named Stephen Kay, who was coming off of a decent movie called The Last Time I Committed Suicide. It, it's a uh, it's it's a very very 2000 movie. It's a it's very much the filmmaking techniques, uh, the editing. Yeah, it's not great. If you're home on a Sunday and it's on HBO, there's worse ways to kill an hour and a half. But I I I'd certainly would not be a Stallone movie. I'd recommend
0: it. I've never seen it. But just from the marketing, it really kind of reminded me of a movie that came out around the same time called Payback with Mel Gibson. Any similarities?
1: Kind of. You know, they're both sort of revenge movies. They're both sort of overshot and over edited. Uh, That being said, I don't think Get Carter can even come close to Payback. I mean, if you had to pick one of the two, especially if you can see the, the director's cut of Payback, um, th- there's no question that that's the one you should watch.
0: Okay. Ugh, 2001's Driven. I, I, I'm I just going to not. I'm not. I think it's – I'm sure I've mentioned it on the podcast before. I, I think you and I have spoken of it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, driven is just a movie that absolutely frustrates me on a completely – new plane like and and this is you know and it it really pains me to say this because I am a huge Rennie Harlan fan. Uh, Rennie Harlan directed Cliffhanger. He directed Die Hard 2. He did the fourth Elm Street, The Long Kiss Goodnight. I mean, he has made some great films. This one for me is just a, just a, a huge miss for, for an otherwise, for a director who I otherwise really, really love.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, Rennie Harlan is known for excess and sometimes that excess works for him and sometimes it doesn't. I think Driven is one where the excess doesn't work. And, you know, we were talking off, off, uh, Mike, about how this was also that weird time when we were trying to make Kit Pardue a thing. Um, and that doesn't do Driven. I love Kit Pardue and Remember the Titans. I think he gives a great performance there. He gives a great performance in Rules of Attraction, but he is... There's just... Nobody in this movie seems particularly interested or invested. Um, there's a phenomenal cast, top to bottom, in Driven. But I think you could make an argument that it is almost... Everybody involved, it is almost their worst performance. I I legitimately think you can make that argument
0: from 2001 through 2006. I don't want to say that say that Stallone is notably absent, but let's just look at, you know, the three films that he are listed on his filmography between 01 and 06. We've got 2002 Avenging Angelo, which I will go on record saying I have not seen. 2000 2000- went
1: Direct to Video, it's bad.
0: Okay. 2003 Spy Kids 3: Game Over. I again have not seen this but Actually, I have not seen any of the Spy Kids films. Are they worth checking out?
1: Yeah, they're fun. They're fun kids movies. They're back when Robert Rodriguez uh, was still really actually interested. He was more interested in making decent movies than he was just with doing special effects in his backyard. I think Spy Kids 3 is probably the worst of the bunch. I will say Stallone is delightful in it. He plays the villain, but he, again, when he gets... When either he's invested or he can play a role with a little bit of a twinkle in his eye, a little bit of a lighter touch, he's really enjoyable. I I do think he actually puts in a good performance in in Spy Kids 3.
0: Okay. 2003 is a movie called Shade, which I think you and I were both like, have you heard of this? I haven't heard of this.
1: I know nothing about it. I, I pulled it up on IMDb. It looks like he's a bit of a supporting character in it, or maybe even just a like a cameo. He's on the box art, but if you pull up the cast and crew, he like doesn't show up in the top. So I'm guessing it's one of those where maybe he's got like a quick cameo and then they use that to market the movie, but I know nothing about it.
0: From 2003 through 2006, Sly takes the longest break from making film since his since 1970, when he was in the party at Kitty and Studs, he takes a three-year hiatus from films. You know, one can only speculate as to why he took that hiatus. It could be the uh, diminishing returns of almost every film that he that we, he was in since uh, see, even Copland wasn't that big of a financial success. But you know, I know Spy Kids three made some money, but he took a he took a break.
1: Absolutely, and and I think part of the reason for that too is also he's developing simultaneously two movies and whichever one was going to go first is the one that he was going to make first. Because I think, again, up and down career, he knew at this point he needed to go back to Why people watch Sylvester Stallone movies.
0: And he is going to do that with a, what will, again, a a figure of speech we've used a couple times, not with a one two punch in the same year, but a one two punch as far as films being released back to back. In 2006, much to the surprise, I think, of a lot of people, including myself, he comes out with another Rocky movie, 2006 Rocky Balboa. Now, (laughs) being a kid of the 80s, being a huge Rocky fan, This was a movie that I was seeing absolutely first showing, first hour that it was available in my theater. And I saw the film, it really... I thought was an amazing movie and I loved it. And I know there's a lot of people out there that have cited it as it being an incredibly boring film. But if you're as invested into the characters as I was, I think you're going to find a lot to love about this film. And I think it has an amazing message as well. So, I I don't think I've ever asked you your thoughts on Rocky Balboa.
1: So... Ain't It Cool News released, they did a script review, and they weren't particularly fond of the script, which is why sometimes script reviews aren't necessarily good. But because of that, I didn't go see it in the theater. I remember it got pretty decent reviews, and then I saw it when it came out on video, and I was just blown away. I was just absolutely knocked on my ass by how much i loved rocky balboa i still to this day i still love rocky balboa i i am constantly in a battle not saying they're the best ones although i think one is um i am constantly in a battle with whether creed or rocky balboa is my personal favorite Rocky movie, because both of them mean uh, uh, just a ton to me. They, they are movies that I go to when I'm feeling down. Um, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but people who follow me on Twitter know I've been pretty upfront. I suffer from depression pretty severely. I suffer from anxiety pretty severely. Uh, I get real low. And Rocky Balboa is one of those movies that I go to all the time. To pull me out, to help me, because there is so much thematically going on. There are so many things just interesting and moving and uplifting in this movie. I, I think Rocky Balboa is absolutely a brilliant movie. You know, you said some people think it's boring. I'm sorry for those people. I wish they could see the movie that I see when I watch Rocky Balboa because I absolutely love that movie.
0: It is to this day. The only Rocky film I've seen where I got teary-eyed at the end of the match, and I'm not going to spoil the end of the boxing match, but of course, every Rocky film has a boxing match, and I was genuinely tearing up in the theater. You know, that film really impacted me and and got me excited. Like when they announced Creed was coming out and and I knew how much involvement Stallone was in, uh, how much Stallone was involved in that film got me really excited. But we'll save it a discussion for Creed for our next episode because we're going to be talking about uh, his filmography post-2008's Rambo. But speaking of 2008's Rambo, Mike, when did Rambo come on your radar, and what, if any, anticipation did you have for this film?
1: So it came on my radar pretty much as soon as they announced he was filming it after Rocky Balboa, and after Rocky Balboa, my anticipation was through the roof. Uh, This was one I followed the filmmaking, uh, I followed the set reports, I was chomping at the bit for this thing to come out. And then when the first trailer dropped, man, I was all in, I was all in on this movie.
0: What did you think about the fact that Stallone, you know, we didn't touch on the fact that Stallone as the director, he, he directed Rocky Balboa and he directed Rambo. Rocky Balboa was not the first Rocky film that he directed. He did parts two, three, and four. So he had, you know, a lot of experience with that character. But this was going to be the first time, I guess we could say he, quote, drept, uh, jumped into the director's chair for Rambo. So, I mean, you had, there had to been some some excitement at the fact that he was going to be directing a Rambo film.
1: Yeah, I was just talking to, to somebody on Twitter the other day about this, that I think Stallone is actually a vastly underappreciated director. I haven't seen his first director. Debut Paradise Alley. But frankly, everything else he's directed, I would argue, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago, that even that one has value. I would argue Staying Alive is the only movie he's directed that is not very good. Um, Rocky 2, II, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky Balboa, Rambo, and The Expendables, I think, regardless of what you think of the movies, are all really well directed. Stallone can direct a movie uh he actually has directing chops so i was really excited that he was gonna direct this one
0: i was reading up and take this for what it's worth because i read it on wikipedia you know it did say that a a different director was originally attached to direct the film but left due to creative disagreements based on everything we know about prior rambo films i would say there's probably a better than average chance that that's true would you agree
1: yeah, I mean, I almost feel like at this point, if a, if a director, if if a Rambo movie doesn't have more than one director, it's not really a Rambo movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just Stallone. I mean, that's that ego again. But at least with this movie, ego or not, he's invested. I mean, he's all in for this movie.
0: The decision, we, we talked uh, quite a bit about sort of with Rambo 3 and, you know, his decision to have that story take place in in you know, I'll just say nineteen late 1980s Afghanistan. You know, I kind of made the argument that it feels like Stallone is, you know, he, he figures Rambo can can fi- solve any problem. You know, when I was watching this film again, I was watching it after I made those statements, you know, and I'm realizing that the, the conflict that's happening in Burma, which is now Myanmar, but it's referred to as Burma in the film, I didn't get a sense that he was solving the 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 conflict the 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 genocide that's happening in there i i got a sense that for once he was using it as a real place but it wasn't i don't think he was speaking to the politics of what was happening there like he his character genuinely did not want to go in there he only went in there because he had to rescue people i i I guess i'm just opening a whole can of worms but your your thoughts about the decision for this story to be set in myanmar
1: So, you know, he had tried to make a bunch of different Rambos. There were some where he was going to go into Iraq. There was some where he was going to fight white supremacists. There was some where he was going to fight the Mexican cartels, which will become relevant uh, in the next episode. I think... Without getting into the politics, because I will be the first to admit Burmese slash Myanmar politics are not an area that I'm very familiar with. Um, I know at the time there was a lot of, there was, it was considered a humanitarian crisis. But what I do like is, like you said, Dana, he's not taking on the Russian army. He's taking on one major and one camp and he's doing it to rescue people who, unlike Rambo 2, are Actually, at least a couple of them fleshed out characters. So we have a much more narrow focus in this movie. There's a much more personal investment for Rambo. It really, really feels much more First Blood-esque than it does Rambo 2 and 3. The focus is, is just much more on the characters and the people and their interactions in spite of all the action that we're going to get in this movie. I think it's a smart decision to really strip Rambo down to, again, his basics. You could actually, I think, take the Rambo from First Blood and this Rambo and skip two and three. And there's still a coherent character arc there because I really think they wanted to get back to that First Blood feeling.
0: What's interesting is when you look at First Blood Part 2 and Rambo 3, you know, it's, it's Troutman who is essentially the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? He's the, he's the facilitator. He is the reason why Rambo is in the situations he finds himself in, in parts two and three. He's not in this film, obviously, for obvious reasons that he, he had passed away. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what would happen? You know, just looking back, I'm wondering, you know, if he would have been in this film had Richard Crenna not passed away.
1: I think there probably was because he had been rec- recast initially, uh, James Brolin was initially supposed to play him in this, and they decided to, to cut him out. I don't know what role he would have played. And I actually, as much as you know, we've talked about, I love my Troutman. I think Richard Crenna is one of the best parts of this series. I love my Sam Troutman. But I do think perhaps given where the character of John Rambo is it's it's better that he's not in this one because this is the one where Rambo needs to decide to care about something on his own um not because somebody else tells him he needs to care about it
0: we just need to jump into to Stallone's performance in this film because we're going to talk about the the supporting cast and the fact that when we get to that last you know half an hour of the movie He's working as almost as part of a team, which is again, it goes sort of against the wheelhouse of, of a typical Rambo film, but we need to just jump right in. Sylvester Stallone as John Rambo in this movie. I will say that this is next to first blood. This is my 100% favorite performance that he's given as Rambo. And I'm pretty sure that will stay the same after we, after next week's episode. What do you think?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we talked, uh, just so people know, there is no David Morrell novelization for this one, because by 2008, novelizations just weren't a thing. Home video existed. But he is on record as saying that he feels like this is actually the closest to his Rambo that he wrote in the initial First Blood book. I don't, you know, Death of the Author and all that, I actually don't think I agree with that, because Rambo in the original First Blood book is a psychopath. This Rambo is not. But well, what I do think is that this Rambo is very, very much the same guy who is in First Blood, the movie, the David Morrell two and three novelizations, and then now this movie. There is a complete cogent character arc between those two movies and those uh, two novelizations. And I will actually say, I think First Blood is the better movie. You know, that's not a surprise. We gave it the highest possible recommendation. I think this movie is my favorite John Rambo performance. Uh This movie is everything... You know, I've said on this podcast that I love Rambo as a character and think the movies a lot of times let him down. I love him in this movie. I love the characterization in this movie. And thank God, again, not to jump too far ahead, but I think the movie supports that.
0: When you look at Rambo 2 and Rambo 3, he is the same. He basically has, uh, you know, I know he has the the situation with Ko when she passes away in in the second one. But he is very uniformly the same person throughout those two films. This movie really, like you said it perfectly, there's a character arc that I think is so believable. There's that sort of quick montage when you see everything that he has gone through and it has clips from the movie. And if you look really closely, there's a split second where it has a, a scene from the deleted scene in First Blood where he commits suicide Did you catch that? You saw that. Yep. 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 It was fascinating to watch this film again and just like, you, you know, you just see what's going on in his head and- sort of the turn he makes, the transformation he makes, because at the beginning of this film, he could not give a fuck. He is he's like, nope, I'm not going in there. You guys don't need to go in there. Uh Julie Ben's character really, you know, convinces him otherwise. But but it was such a believable performance and it was, I'll say, refreshing at the very least.
1: I agree. Well and what I love about it. A couple things is, is yeah, you know, I mentioned this in the last episode, Rambo 3, we got a almost Ray Tango quippy, right? You know, there's that scene in Rambo 3 where they're surrounded by the, you know, they, there's the tanks and the helicopters at the very end and Troutman goes, what do you want to do? And Rambo goes, well, I guess surrounding him's out. And I'm just like, that that is not Rambo, man. He doesn't do, there's no quips in this movie. But what I also love is how he really dials in. You mentioned Julie Benz's character, Sarah. There's a, she's got a great, great bit of dialogue that I think sums up this movie. And I've, I've got it pulled up, so I'm going to read it really quick, where she says, she tells him, she goes, you care. And he's like, what? And she goes, you care because if you didn't, you would have taken us there, taken the money and been done with it. But you didn't do that. Maybe you've lost your faith in people, but you must still be faithful to something. And, like, that is just, for me, personally, I don't want to speak for other people. That is John Rambo to a fucking T. You know, he is broken, embittered, battered, and cynical. But he still believes in not God, not Yahweh, not even the army or whatever. But if nothing else, he believes he can save somebody. And that—that that is what makes this movie so damn good.
0: No, absolutely. What did you think about Julie Benz and her performance?
1: So I love Julie Benz. She's Darla on Angel. I know most people will remember her from Dexter, but she's always going to be Darla on Angel for me. I love Julie Benz. I, I think she could have had a little bit more to do. She's very clearly the there to be the inciting you know she's there to motivate change in Rambo she doesn't get killed which means I don't have to have an awkward conversation about her getting fridged but she's really just there to to motivate him but I think she brings she brings her fairly considerable talents like I said I like Julie Benz to the table and I think they have a very strong chemistry there's part of me that's like you know her her husband is just such a dweeb and it's like dude I'm pretty sure you could pull Rambo if you want to do without without too much effort. So, they have a very easy, very good chemistry. So, I, I'm a big fan of her in this movie.
0: I remember seeing this film in the, in the theater. You, you saw this opening day, right? Yes, I did. Uh, as, as did I. And what I thought was really interesting because I, I kept saying to myself, well, he's clearly older. You know, talking about Sylvester Stallone. And I, I remember kind of going into this movie like, I wonder how that's going to translate on screen. Well, obviously, no problems there. But what set this film apart from the the other films was the fact that he he basically works with the team reluctantly at first and then basically becomes the team leader but give me your thoughts on sort of the dynamic and and, and sort of the, the the shift if you will of, of the lone warrior versus you know going in with the team and they they genuinely work together
1: I love it because what I love about it is here's this guy who's both done the most heroic things we can imagine and the most unbelievably reprehensible things we can imagine and he just wants to fuck off and be left alone and these cynical mercenaries well except for schoolboy who's we can talk about him later but i love matthew marsden in this movie they come in they're getting paid and it's one of those things where it's like rambo does care and so he becomes the de facto you know we get that just unbelievably great scene where he puts the arrow to Grant McTavish's head and he's like, man, not they're in one of us that doesn't want to be someplace else, but this is who we are. This is what we do. I love Rambo the Elder Statesman essentially saying, look, I don't care how cool and tough and badass you guys think you are. I've done more. I've been in more places and I'm telling you, these are people that are worth saving. So we're going to go save them you know, your choice. I think it's such an interesting direction to take his character. And again, based on, I have to think Sylvester Stallone really internalized those David Morrell novelizations because based on the Rambo in the Morrell novelizations, that is a perfectly logical place for him to be. Um. So I, I, I love it. I think it's, I think it's, where he should be and I think it was the smartest decision to make for his character.
0: I loved the the interactions between uh, Lewis, Graham McTavish and and Stallone I mean right when they're on the boat he just the boatman and then he when they finally get where they're going and he just keeps referring to him as the boatman and the fact that that Rambo, at, at no point until we get the scene where he's you know using the the, the bow and arrow, that uh, you can see that Rambo has still got those skills. But at no point does Graham McTavish think that Rambo's anything other than just a hired boatman. And I love just sort of the 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 build up to that, like you said, that scene where Rambo's got the arrow pointed right at his eye. I just love the dynamic between those two. I, Graham McTavish, I thought, did an excellent job in this movie.
1: He did, and and it's great too because we as the audience know who... Ra- I mean, even if you'd never seen a Rambo before, they establish who he is because he kills the pirates earlier in the movie. So even if you knew nothing about Rambo, you already know he's a badass. But if you do know Rambo, it's even greater because it's like, we know who he is. So Graham McTavish is calling him the the boatman and putting him down. And he's like, oh, you're an uptight bastard, aren't you? You know, and it's like, man, you're talking to motherfucking John Rambo. You have no idea idea what you are doing right now but i love that rambo's solution to that is not to just i mean he kind of alpha dogs them because he puts an arrow up to his eye but he doesn't really what he does is appeal to their humanity you know we get the great line i mean this movie is just you know i've i've made mention repeatedly in this series i think there's some great lines in rambo and we get one of the best in live for nothing or die for something. I mean, that is just so fantastic. And so everything that this movie is all about, it's a perfect dynamic. I it, It's so great and it pays off so well.
0: We can't have a discussion about this film with talking about the monumental shift in the level of violence in this movie. I will say, you know, having watched all four of these films so far for this podcast. I have seen the fifth one and we'll, we'll get to that one next week. But there is, in my opinion, a monumental shift from sort of a an, a 1980s style violence where, you know, y- you'll see a few squibs go off to the pure brutality of you know, what it would really be like to, to be, you know, blown apart from a 50 cal or blown up from a landmine. And I remember the violence really, really... It was really unsettling for me seeing it in the theater, but at the same time, I respected that decision to go to a much more harsher and realistic depiction of violence. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, and and especially because on one hand, it's more harsher and more realistic, but then when we get to the climax, it does again almost become cartoonish. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted this out. Earlier this week, that and I've made this illusion before that Rambo's basically a a slasher, and these are just movies from the perspective of the slasher. My man goes full Jason Voorhees in this one. That shot in the climax where he pops up behind the guy on the gun truck just like Jason would and cuts his head off is full-blown slasher. And so I think The increase in violence is appropriate. What I like is, I don't want to say it's restrained because it's not, but it's very gritty. It's very realistic until we get to the end when it goes all in and there's just carnage and chaos. This is where Rambo needed to go. It was 20 years between Rambo 3 and this one. Movies had changed. Violence in movies had changed. That 80s action style had, you know, John Woo existed. The the Witch existed. You know, the, the 80s style of action couldn't be done anymore. Yeah. I think it was a smart decision to go the way he went, uh and make it this over the top. And if I remember right, at the time at least, it was the Guinness World Record holder for more for most deaths per minute in in any movie. Because the last fifteen minutes, like I don't know, like two hundred and sixty people or something get killed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just when I'm watching the movie again it, And I'm, you know, he gets on the gun truck and he's got the 50 cal heavy machine gun. I think uh, a lesser action film would have had him up there for about 30 seconds, just mowing a few people down and then taking, you know, jumping off the truck and getting more, you know, into the action. No, no. He goes through a whole clip and then reloads the gun and is up there for another couple of minutes. And I just thought, I love the idea that he just continues to stay up there because why wouldn't you? You've got the most effective weapon on the battle field right now. I just thought, you know, a lesser a lesser film would wouldn't have had him up there that long and I really liked that decision to stay on that 50 cal for as long as he did.
1: Well, and they almost didn't do that. The initial plan was for him to carry that 50 cal Rambo 2 style and he was more than physically fit enough to carry it, but they he found that it it just limited his options and again, was too unrealistic. So they mounted it on the truck. And what I like about that is, again, this is so consistent with the character because this isn't the poster for First Blood Part 2 where he's jacked and ripped and has the M60 and he's holding it up. You know, I mean, he's still jacked. He's even more jacked in this one. But this is him just using the best weapon he can to his advantage. Um, And, you know, again... Kind of similar to Rambo 3, but they have to rely on assistance from the the Karen Rebels. The, the, the ego is there in how he looks. He's so built and he's so cut and he looks so cool. But the ego in regards to the character of John Rambo is not there in this movie. Rambo is – Rambo doesn't get through this without the help of others. Right. And that is – The first Rambo movie where we can really say that. I guess you could say it in First Blood because he doesn't get through that without Troutman's help. But this is the first Rambo movie where he relies on other people. And I think that makes him actually that much more amazing and that much more impressive. Because he's inspired all of these people to help him. Which I think is is just a really terrific way to go with the character.
0: Because it's not like you said it perfectly, this is 20 years past Rambo 3. What are the 80s action films most famous for? The one man killing machine who who can do everything. And and granted, there's a lot of great movies in that genre from that decade. But it wouldn't have been, I would say, quote, realistic to do that in 2008. You know, it was a collaboration. And I mean, you nailed it. And it's, it's perfect. So, Let's just real quick. I, I only have one, literally one thing written down for the things I'm not crazy about when it comes to this movie. And that is just the CGI with the blood. It, it, it just wasn't there for me in a couple scenes. And it, and it was, I think it was a, a little bit glaring, a little bit noticeable, but that's all I've got written down for things I didn't like about this film. What about you?
1: Yeah. The CGI blood's bad. You know, I get why they did it, but and in, in this movie is 12 years old, and I'll be honest, we still really haven't gotten CGI blood figured out. I was just listening to the Corpse Club podcast with Patrick Bromley and Heather Wixson. They were talking about how we still haven't figured out CGI fire and CGI blood uh, after all these years, and uh, it doesn't work great. I will say, if you've seen the extended cut... <laughs> Uh, He actually cuts down quite a bit of the CGI blood because he realized it didn't look very good. So the extended cut is a little better. I'm not going to say that's the version you should watch because I think there's good parts in both versions, but the CGI blood is noticeably less in the extended cut.
0: Yeah. As far as things I like... Uh, we've covered quite a bit of it. Again, speaking of the running time here, this was the first Rambo film since First Blood where I wasn't bored. I was engaged from the moment it started, and I was—I I got that. I, I talked about that proverbial ticking clock that we had in First Blood, you know, because he was—he was on the run. Where. This film so expertly sets up just how vile the bad guys are, like what they're capable of. And you... At least I got that sense that he needs to get in there as quick as possible and rescue these people because they don't stand a chance. And I genuinely felt that way. And so I thought this was the first Rambo film since First Blood that I was not bored. It was not a chore to get to that last 30 minutes. I was excited to get to that last 30 minutes of the film because I think it's a hell of a crescendo to an already amazing story. But I love the performances. I love the action. I love, and I say, let me just touch on that for a second. I love the act that the action was grounded in a little bit more reality, putting the CGI blood aside, of course, but it wasn't so over the top with big giant hind helicopters and tanks. It was really, you know, boots on the ground, mud in the face, just real, like, consistently gritty action, which I really responded to in this film. So, the performances was great, the actions were action was great, and... I liked the way this movie ended, spoiler alert, I thought this movie expertly wrapped up what I thought was going to be the complete story of John Rambo as far as it being presented on the big screen and I was like, to me, it's it so expertly wrapped up everything and I, I can honestly say that, you know, you could watch the first one and the fourth one and that's a that's a perfect sort of wrap up to the story but I could go on and on but please, what are some of the things you like about this movie that we haven't already touched on?
1: Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, um, I really like Matthew Marsden as schoolboy. He's an actor that I, I like quite a bit when I see him pop up and things. And I think he gets an interesting character here because he's the first one of the mercenaries that seems to sense that Rambo is something more than what... Lewis and the others are giving him credit for, right? And in the theatrical cut, you know, when Rambo says, live for something, or, or uh, live for nothing, die for something, your call. Schoolboy's the first one that says, well, what's your call? And he says, let's move. That's not in the extended cut, but I just think he's, he's such a great character. And I love, I love the look on his face when he and Julie Benz, when he and Sarah, at the Right before the climax, right before what I think is cinematic perfection. They've got all the, mer- all the missionaries and the mercenaries out and they're beating him. And he's got that big 50 cal, but he's basically like, there's nothing I can do. And then, you know, just the look on his face. He, this is a guy that actually cares. He's a mercenary, but he cares about people. He wants to save people. And just the look on his face. But then it cuts to the gun truck and the Rambo popping up. And it's like, that is a... Perfect cut. That is a perfect transition, perfect build up. Again, Stallone directs the ever living. Sh- Get out of this picture. This is so well structured. I love it. The other things I like I'm just pulling out my notes here really quick uh, one other great line is you know one other very Rambo line is when you're pushed killings as easy as breathing yeah. which is in two different places depending on which version you watch. If it's in the theatrical version it's when he's forging the knife if it's in the extended cut it's he he actually says that to Sarah but what a John Rambo line right man like that is If you had to sum up John Rambo, that is a real John Rambo line.
0: So, I feel like uh, this is going to be a pretty easy answer here, but Mike, would you recommend 2008's Rambo?
1: I absolutely, over the top. Uh, To be honest with you, I already loved this movie talking with you about it has actually made me love it even more um i was it was already gonna be a strong recommendation but i just think this thing is if you're just looking for an action movie with some heart which is weird i just this thing is fucking great i love this movie
0: i'm gonna second everything you said there this is the highest recommendation for me it's as much as i recommended first blood i will recommend this film to use a word that you've you've uh i think you've coined on this podcast efficient as hell but also has a lot of heart and a lot of emotion and it was just it was just a delight to watch this again and i will probably watch it again within the next month or so, you know, it's just, it's one of these films that I want to, I want to constantly revisit. So I do have a quick question for you. If there are people listening to this show that have not seen 2008's Rambo, there is a theatrical cut. There is an extended cut. Could you tell them which is the better one to watch first to get their first exposure to this film?
1: Boy, I don't, I don't know. You know, I think probably the extended cut Which has become the more predominant cut. The biggest problem for me is I really love the scene in the theatrical cut when he's forging his knife and he's got the voiceover that is, you know what you are, war is in your blood. Uh, When you're pushed, killing's as easy as breathing. I really like that montage, and that montage isn't in the extended cut. Instead, it's the pastor of the church for the missionaries giving a prayer. Also works really well. And had I not seen the theatrical version first, I probably would have thought that was fantastic. So I'm Gonna say if you haven't seen it and you don't have the theatrical version in your head, watch the extended version. They're they're not so different. This isn't a Kingdom of Heaven situation where they're completely different movies. They're not so different that it really matters one way or the other. But if you haven't seen the theatrical, I would say probably start with the extended version, okay. um, just so you don't have that theatrical version in your head when you're watching it.
0: To close out this episode, I want to talk about may uh, spoilers for the end of, of this movie. Spoilers in three, two, one. The end of this movie, Rambo returns to the United States. He returns home. He returns to Arizona, to the family farm. I remember leaving the theater so, so satisfied the way that this, I, which frankly I thought was the end of the franchise and it would have made perfect sense to end the franchise this way. I was so satisfied with just that little, you know, three minute ending of the film. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I don't want to get too far ahead for the next episode. I will just say, you know, and I've been very upfront in this series that for me, the character of John Rambo is what gets me through this series. As far as I am concerned, this is the end of John Rambo's story. I I think the ending of this movie, it brings him, you know, to tie it back into Rambo 3, when Troutman, and they quote it in this movie, there's a line of dialogue from Troutman in this movie, where he says, Johnny, when are you going to come full circle? And him walking down that road going back home to Arizona, Johnny's come full circle. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, that's the end of John Rambo's story. He's earned... He's earned his trip home. He's done everything he needs. I loved it. I think it's the perfect way to end it. Unfortunately, people know we have another episode to record. So, um, but I think it's just absolutely an amazing way to end the movie and his story.
0: I agree. But that is not where the story ends. Uh, Last year, we did get the release of Rambo Last Blood, which will be the final episode in this series, which which will be out next week for listeners. But if you don't want to wait a week, you can always go to Patreon.com slash movie where you can get early access to all of our episodes, including our discussion on Rambo Last Blood, which is currently available. And there's a link in this episode's show notes if you want to check that out. So, Mike, if people want to follow you on social media.
1: You can find me at Hibachi Justice on Twitter. You can also find me at Hibachi Justice on Letterboxd, where I do also have our updated list of all the 20th Century Movie Club recommendations. Somebody just actually tweeted at us this week wanting to know what episode we talked about uh, a movie. And uh, if you want to know that, you can find it on that list. So follow me in both places.
0: If you want to follow this show on Twitter, you can do so at Dana Buckler Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Dana Buckler. I'm on Instagram at The Dana Buckler Show. Our email address is show at gmail.com. Where you can email us with questions or comments. All right. So, Mike, love this film. Really glad this, this, watching this movie, is, you know, is maybe glad we, we did this, uh, retrospective because going through those last two, I was like, oh, maybe we should have talked about this a little bit more before we decided to do this one. But I'm telling you right now, watching this film is why we did this retrospective.
1: Yeah. And, and for me, I'm also so glad that, and I, I'm so glad that it it inspired me to read the morale books because like I said, I think the movie of First Blood, the novelization of Rambo 2 and Rambo 3 and this movie form a character arc that... Again, just makes John Rambo one of my absolute favorite fictional characters of all
0: time. I agree with you, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what we have to say about the net, about the final one. But we'll 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 get to that next week. So <laughs> yep. So Mike, take care, and we'll talk soon. All right, buddy, have a good one. You as well. And my name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening.